You're listening to the Tony Stewart Podcast, where Tony interviews financial literacy advocates who are changing the conversation on money, so you can catch up on the latest trends and ideas in the world of financial literacy and education. Presented by Paperwork. Be prepared for life. Welcome to the Tony Stewart Podcast presented by Paperwork. I'm pleased to be joined today by Robin Tobe. Robin is an author, speaker, and founder of Robin Tobe Consulting. In this episode, we'll be discussing the value of teaching our kids about money and Robin's book, The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible, Independent, and Money Smart for Life. Robin, welcome to the Tony Stewart Podcast. Thanks for having me, Tony. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. So, you know, as we get started, I always like to ask all my guests this is, what is your origin story? How did you get started in financial education? So I'm a CPA, a Canadian CPA by training, but I like to say that I am not your typical accountant. I did start off my career working um, at KPMG and then I worked at Ernst & Young, but I, uh, I, I quickly left public practice. I actually left and went to work for a client that was doing real estate syndication. And after I did that, I went and worked at Citibank um, on the trading floor doing derivatives marketing. So I've had a varied career in accounting and finance, but for the last um, 20 plus years, I've been focused on financial literacy and it it um, it really brought together all of the uh, my my financial background, my education, my interests, and um, after the two thousand and eight financial crisis, there really was uh, a lot of attention being paid to being financially literate. And in Canada, there was even a task force, a national task force, and they felt it was so critical to Canadian economic growth and prosperity. So I really started focusing on creating content to help Canadians make better financial decisions. And then the book was really um, something that I felt very strongly about because I have two kids myself. And I know that this is a weighty responsibility for most parents to raise their kids to be financially capable, financially literate, responsible and independent. So um, yeah, that's really where the, the motivation for this work comes from. Well, that's great. And, you know, you mentioned kids and it's so important to teach our kids and, you know, uh, something you mentioned in your background about derivatives and, you know, that's probably one of the most complex financial instruments. Uh, Did you find that, you know, in working with derivatives that, you know, that it took some work to explain it to other people? Oh, to even learn it myself, because I came from being like a chief financial officer of a real estate syndication company. I dove into this whole new world of derivatives. And I actually went back to university and took a course in options. Um, I had to learn a lot of it on the job. And yes, when I told people what I did, most people are afraid of the word. It does, it does um, connote a lot of complexity. It was often responsible for these outsized financial losses. So, I mean, the, probably the easiest example to give people is a stock option. If you say, oh, that's an example of a derivative, then they understand what you're talking about. But yeah, it's definitely a complex topic that I don't often get into too much in the work that I do now. Um, 
you know, it's, it's not covered in my book or anything, but there are a lot of older kids that are very interested in option trading and um, other derivatives like forwards and futures and stuff. So it is an interesting area, an interesting part of my background that I'm always excited to talk about because it was very cool to work on a trading floor. Oh, yeah. yeah well, pretty hectic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so, you know, the reason, you know, that I, that I thought is so interesting is that even though, you know, as you point out, as somebody who was trained in finance, you're already a CPA, is that it was still a complex area mm -hmm. of the financial world. And I think that's important for people to remember that even for those of us who are educated about finances, there are, there are areas that are always going to be a little more complex. And that, you know, as you point out, is you had to go back to school mm -hmm. to learn about it. And I think that's an important lesson for people is to, hey, you know, you're going to have to learn if there's something. I agree with that. It's, I feel like personal finance and investing is a lifelong commitment. I still take courses. I still listen to lots of podcasts. I still try to gather a lot of information so that I can make informed decisions about my finances and my investments. And I really encourage other people to do the same. It's not something that you can learn once and that then then forget about it. I don't think many mm -hmm. things are. I mean, even like learning a language, you kind of have to use it or lose it. It's similar. Um, but I feel fortunate that I do have this amazing education and grounding in the world of, of accounting and finance because it for me, it took away the intimidation factor. Mm -hmm. I just felt like confident and capable of understanding these things. And it was just second nature to me. It was like it was like another language because I've just been immersed in it since very early. Well, that That's great. And I think those are such important points. You know, that capability, that confidence is so often people are lacking that when they approach their financial lives is that, you know, that allowed you to go into an area that, you know, it is one of the most complex areas in finances. Um, yeah. And I can relate to how people can feel overwhelmed or intimidated or just out of their depth because it's sort of the way I feel when I have to take care of like a like a little construction project at my house or something like I'm not I don't have that those skills or that background and when the builder starts talking about all these different technical terms and I just feel like oh my god how am I going to make a decision about this I don't really know what he's talking about I'm embarrassed to ask um, should I know this and I, you know I usually call in someone like my husband or my brother who are way better at this kind of thing. So I do like, and then I always say to myself, mm, that's how people feel when it comes to their personal finances or making investment decisions or choosing financial products. So I can relate. I just happen to be stronger in this area and, you know, I'm human and weaker in other areas. Well, that, that, that's great. And I think, you, you know, again, you're bringing up some really great points, but I think, you know, one key word you said is ashamed. Is, yeah. you know, that, that I think people are often ashamed to say they don't know something. You don't want to be the person who says, hey, I, I don't understand what a premium is, or I don't understand what a deduction is, because, you know, there's a presumption that people know, you know, like, hey, do you have all your receipts so you can take a deduction? And somebody's like, you know, they're not going to say, well, I don't know what a deduction is. <laughs> you know, so. I know. And, you know, I encourage, like with my own kids, I've always encouraged them to ask questions 
because um, that's just the best way to learn. And it is part of my philosophy of looking for these teachable moments. So, you know, you especially as a parent, when you're trying to educate your kids, you never want to make them feel ashamed or silly or stupid. It's just like in class, like there's no stupid questions. Most questions are thoughtful and are coming from a place of confusion or wanting to understand more. But there was actually an interesting recent study in Canada that showed that um, 45% of people said they don't like talking about money because they feel ashamed, mm. um, either thinking they should know more or they should be doing better at this stage of their lives. So, yeah, I really encourage people to, to try and get over that and, um, you know, not be afraid to ask and not be afraid to talk about money with, with their kids and to learn more themselves if they need to, because, it is a vast topic, personal finance and investing, and it is complex and it's only gotten more so over the years. There's so much innovation. It is hard to keep up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's easier just to kind of give up than to make a start, but it can be done. And I think, you know, I try to encourage parents to, you know, work on their own financial house to get their own financial house in order first so that they can lead by example for their kids. Um, but I do feel like it is a lifelong journey and hopefully it's something that you begin to enjoy and embrace. Well, that's great. And, and I think that once you start, you know, going back to what you said earlier, is that once you start feeling capable and confident is that's that'll help you continue on your journey. And uh, it is a journey. So let's talk a little bit about your book. You know, the title of your book sure. is The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible independent and money smart for life is so why is teaching your kids about money the wisest investment so i think if you ask most people what's the wisest investment they would probably say it's their house or their retirement fund or maybe their emergency fund coming out of you know coming out of covid or being in covid still but i argue that it's really the investment that you make in teaching your kids and preparing them so that they can be responsible and independent and good with money for the rest of their lives. And I think the reasons are that there's there are such significant consequences if we don't teach our kids. And there are some really um, valuable benefits if we do. So on the consequences side, if we don't teach our kids about money, they're going to be lacking a basic life skill. Mm-hmm. Financial literacy is a basic life skill, and that could lead to expensive mistakes or financial struggles down the road. It can also lead to stress. You know, uh, there's studies that show that um, nearly half of Canadians have lost sleep over money worries. Losing sleep is one thing, but having, you know, suffering physical, physical ailments like high blood pressure or heart disease as a result of money stress or, or mental health issues like depression and anxiety, most of us want better for our kids. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, is if we don't teach them, they can start to form bad habits that become difficult to break as you get older. So those are some of the like negative things. And also as parents, we don't want to be, many of us can't afford to support our adult children financially. So Mm -hmm. it could come back to haunt us too. But if you look at it from the positive side, if we are successful in teaching our kids, and I believe that we, we all can be, then, you know, your kids are financially literate, meaning they have the knowledge skills and confidence to make appropriate decisions at every life stage. Uh, They will be independent, financially independent, hopefully off the payroll. 
and responsible, meaning they're capable of making good decisions and they'll have good judgment. And it's just one less thing that you have to worry about as a parent, because we do worry about our kids. And even as they get older, it's still hard to let go. So I think there's just so much at stake. Yeah, no, I I would completely agree, you know, because it's, you know, it's your opportunity to teach them, as you say, a a valuable life skill. And so many kids, you know, enter their adult lives and they don't have that life skill. They don't know how to save money. They don't understand about college loans. They end up with these burdensome college loans. Mm -hmm. They burn through credit cards. I know I went through that when I was in college, got my first Mm -hmm. credit card, like, hey, this is great. And then, you know, then I had to start paying it off. It's free money. Exactly. I can just like use this thing and never have to pay pay for these purchases. Yeah, there's a lot of naivete around credit cards at that stage, at that college stage. And unfortunately, it's coupled with lots of offers. Mm-hmm. You can't get away from these offers yet. Many take them no, not really knowing the mechanics of how they work or what they're getting into. Yeah. And as you mentioned, yeah, you're 18. It's like, Hey, free money, you know, yeah. <laughs> we, we can all go out. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you feel so sophisticated and grown up. You're like putting down your credit card, but you might not realize that, you know, in a few weeks, so that balance will be due. And if you don't pay in full, you know, you're going to start to be charged interest and then it could start to snowball. Oh yeah. I went, I went through that, but that's a whole nother subject for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, to, to get back to, you know, where we're talking about kids is, you know, how do you capitalize on teachable moments to help kids create that positive money story and positive money habits so they can be successful later on? Yeah. So one of my strategies for parents who feel like, how am I going to start? Where am I going to start? is to just look for these teachable moments. And that's an opportunity to build a money lesson into your day-to-day lives because we're constantly transacting. Money is ubiquitous. You can't really live without it. And if if you get creative and you listen to your kids, there's going to be these little opportunities that crop up all the time where they're asking you about something um, like, oh, mom, you know, what's the difference between a debit and a credit card? Or how are you using your phone? to pay for something. So just, you know, taking the time to explain how those things work. But as you say, it is important to try to cultivate a positive story around money and being good with money. And um, again, it goes to the confidence piece. You want to encourage your kids to learn this and empower them when it comes to money and not to um, tell a negative story that, you know, money's bad or, you know, it's the root of all evil to quote a cliche or that it's impossible to get a handle on it. Like you want to try and encourage them to form good habits early and to, you know, to start at a level that is appropriate for where they're at. And that's like another core thing in the book is to make sure the information that you share is age appropriate so that it's meaningful and your kids can take it in and they can relate to it because it's at a stage uh, of their lives where they're, you know, currently faced with specific decisions or choices around money. Okay. So of course I said, yeah, my mind went to explaining options to a kindergartner. (laughs) (laughs) Never. (laughs) Yeah, no. No, but I I think that's an important point is the age appropriateness of what you're trying to teach your child. Um, But, you know, one of the things I'm I'm sure, you you know, you're a parent, obviously, is Mm 
that, you know, kids do are able to learn more than sometimes we think they can, is that their level of comprehension. I, I mean, have you found that? Would you urge yes. parents to really test their kids with that? I find that they're really sophisticated. And I don't know if it's because they're digital natives and they've grown up with so much information, but I do find that, um, you know, let's say kids in middle school and, and high school and above are really quite sophisticated. Now to your point, yeah, with, with young kids, you don't want to start with derivatives. You're definitely going to start <laughs> with cash, bills and coins, even, um, even though we're using cash a lot, a lot less than we used to. I still think with young kids, because it's so tactile and concrete, mm-hmm. uh, it's not conceptual the way debit or tapping and those things are. So and I like to show this multi-slotted piggy bank that I think is such a great tool for young kids oh, because okay. instead of one slot, there's four for mm-hmm. save, spend, donate, and invest. So just starting off at, you know, really kind of basic level that you earn money, even a little kid can for like a birthday or a holiday or the tooth fairies visit. And then you have to make choices and money's finite. So once it's in, once you choose to do one thing with it, often you know, that's a decision you have to live with. So as they get older, obviously you can introduce more sophisticated concepts. And I'm sure there are lots of kids in high school or in university who are curious about options or about derivatives. And, you, you know, take cues from your kids. Um, you know, when they start asking about things and they obviously have an interest um, and it could be something a little more sophisticated, but um, often it will be more at a, you know, at a basic level for what they're encountering in their lives. So with teenagers, they're independent, they're spending, they're spending money more, they're going out and doing stuff. So having a budget and tracking their spending is probably a really important thing to, to discuss at that age. Um, you know, maybe once they're in university or they're working and they have money to invest and you can get into some of those concepts. So just keeping in mind, you know, your child's age, their maturity, their level of sophistication and interest, uh, you know, your kids best. So you kind of know what will land with them and what will resonate. Well, I, I think that's a, a, an incredibly solid point is that everybody is different. And that, you know, just because one 14-year-old may be able to absorb a certain lesson doesn't mean that every other 14-year-old can or should be able to. And that you shouldn't have that expectation to make them going back feel ashamed if they're not able to grasp the concept. And as you point out, it's so important is because when they're younger, you're teaching them the fundamentals mm-hmm. and, you know, the spend, save, and, you know, with that tactile, and sometimes people jump right into the more complicated things. They start talking about compounded interest rates and some of these other things. And the people have never had that um, education where they talk about spending and saving. And, yeah. Uh, So that's a really crucial lesson for parents is that you want to lay a foundation and build on it. And that's, that's really how the book is structured. So Mm -hmm. I have what I call the five pillars of money and just like the piggy bank, they are earn, save, spend, share, and invest. So no matter what age you're at, those five pillars, they don't change. It's the specific topics and examples within each of the five that will become more, a little more complicated, a little more sophisticated as your kids get older. So the, so the idea is if you can start early when the stakes are low, 
and your kids can make mistakes and learn from them. Um, so that by the time they get to be an older, they, and, and they can make an expensive mistake, like credit card debt, they will have that foundational knowledge. So that's, you know, each, each there's a chapter in the book for, um, there are four different age groups that I focus on in one chapter and, and a chapter focuses on each of those. And again, always within those five pillars of money topics. So earn, save, spend, share, and invest. Uh, so it is I- ideal if you start when your kids are young, but if you haven't started, it's definitely not too late. You can just jump in at the stage that your child is at. So that again, the information you're sharing is going to resonate with them and isn't going to be either too simple below their level or too, too far above. That's great. That That's so important, you know, is to recognize, you know, that there is that transition. So, mm-hmm. you know, with that said is, how do you feel that we can change the way people think about money? I mean, that's, it seems like that's what you're doing with your books is, you know, getting into that. I am trying to make parents aware that this is so important. I think they feel that responsibility, but it's easy to get overwhelmed. Um, There was one study that showed that 78% of parents had tried to teach their kids but two thirds didn't feel they'd been very successful and more than half didn't know what information they needed. So I think parents have good intentions, um, but I really want to, you know, hammer home or really emphasize why teaching your kids about money is the wisest investment and then help put them at ease by giving them basically a financial roadmap and the tools to be able to do it. So if you're like, well, I don't even know where, to start or what strategies to use. Well, I have three strategies that I think every parent can um, implement immediately. And those are to be a good financial role model for your kids and lead Mm -hmm. by example, to look for teachable moments, to build a money lesson into your day-to-day lives, and then to use your personal values, which are the things that are most important to you and that you're willing to take a stand for and use those values to help guide and prioritize financial decisions. So those three strategies are, you know, what, you know, ways in and how you can do it. And then when it comes to the what, what do I talk about at every age and stage? Well, the book breaks that down under the five pillars. So it's like, now you have the information that you need. So it's just a question of um, looking for those opportunities to have those money talks with your kids. Well, that's great. And I'm really glad you bring up values is that's also something that's oftentimes missed is I think people sometimes are uncomfortable with the decisions they make and they don't follow through is because it's not really in line with their values and who they are and what they want to accomplish. So I think that is so important that you're, you know, talking about that, encouraging people to have that conversation about values with their kids. Yeah. Like why does that disconnect happen? How do you find yourself kind of spending on autopilot without thinking about, well, is this important? Is this really important to me? Is this helping me on my journey towards achieving certain goals? Often life just gets busy and we sort of lose track of that, of that connection. But I do try to encourage parents to get clear about their own values and then encourage their their kids to also discover what their values are and see where there's overlap. And in fact, there's um, in my book, there's a value, a values validator, which is 
an assess- a self-assessment to help you tease out what your top five values are. And if you go to my website, robintobe.com, you can get that for free. So if you're just oh. curious, if you've never done a values exercise and you're not really sure what your family or your personal top five values are, it's worth doing. Cause then when you set goals that are tied to those values, those goals become so much more meaningful and compelling. And like you say, you, um, there's more alignment between what's important to you and how you're spending your money as opposed to that disconnect. Well, that's great. And for people who are tuning into the podcast is I'm definitely going to add a link to Robin's website and directly to the values assessment so that you can easily find it. So you can mm-hmm. try that out. Thank you. Yourself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a great tool that I, I think everybody should go through just to see and uh, to measure. So as we wrap up, you know, what is your number one tip on financial wellness? My number one tip for parents is to try to get your own financial house in order so that you can lead by example and be a good financial role model for your kids because they are, they're watching, you know, they've got their eyes on you, they're listening and they're learning from us and the way we behave around money. And to the extent that we can, it's best to set a good example, you know, as a parent in all areas, not just money, but with, you know, physical health, mental health, work ethics, so many things, generosity. So that's why I devoted the first chapter of the book to helping parents do that. And I came up with these 11 healthy habits of financial management, things like living within your means, paying yourself first, setting up a financial safety net. And there's eight more that will help you get your house in order and also model good behavior for your kids. Well, that's great. I I think that's wonderful advice and a great tip for everybody. So um, Robin, where can people learn more about you? Yes. So I mentioned the one website, which is robintobe.com and that's T-A-U-B. And thank you for including that in the show notes. Um, And that's where you'll find the values validator, as well as like information about speaking and and lots of other really helpful resources that we've curated. And then um, the book, The Wisest Investment, there's a website for that, which is thewisestinvestment.com. And on there, you'll actually find another self-assessment tool, which is what kind of financial role model are you? So further to that whole conversation, if you're curious, what kind of an example am I setting for my kids? If you go to thewisestinvestment.com, you can get that there for free. Oh, fantastic. I think I might do that after we wrap up. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> now I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good. So, so Robin, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, my pleasure. Thank you again for having me, Tony. It's been a pleasure. So Um, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Tony Stewart podcast. Uh, Please remember to subscribe. Until next time.